Um, well, actually, it's, it's, it's since the beginning of the year, right? The S&P 500 uh, mm -hmm. uh, peaked on January 4th, um, and then um, the NASDAQ 100 actually peaked on November 4th, 2021. So we're, we're in this mm -hmm. very long um, uh, five and six month long um, big bear market in, in the Russell 2000 and the NASDAQ. Not quite uh, a bear market with the S&P 500. It was uh, very close, but not there yet. And the Dow is holding up because the Dow is made up of 30 companies, but it's basically Apple and 29 others. Um, and Apple was uh, mm -hmm. the last one to give here. So the, the Dow is actually uh, also down like 15 or 16% top to bottom. I think what's happening is a very different, um, a, a very different sell-off than say the one from uh, 2011, with uh, uh, if you remember the pig, the pigs, um, and, and the pigs countries, mm -hmm. the euro crisis default, and then we had the double dip recession fears, Brexit. Um, obviously, we had uh, the run up to Trump's election where people were scared, and then uh, we had 2018. Everybody, this is Rob Keynes of GoldSilverPros.com. I have a returning guest on the program. It is Leo Gantz with Wealth Research Group, and we are doing this on May seventeenth, twenty twenty-two. Leo, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, thanks for joining the program. We have you on from time to time, usually three or four times a year, to give us an update on on your view on the market. And I think that you have a very good holistic view of the market. You always give us a well-rounded. You follow, you not only the precious metals, you follow the stock markets and all the you know a lot of the economic data and it's a great time to bring you on Lior, because we've had this big correction in the stock market in which i think not only stock market but a lot of things are selling off it's like a maybe a, a rush to liquidity maybe some fear in the market but i wanted to get your viewpoint on it what's happened you know in your eyes over the over the last three to four weeks um well actually it's, it's, it's since the beginning of the year right the s p 500 uh, mm -hmm. uh peaked on january 4th um and then um, the NASDAQ 100 actually peaked on November 4th, 2021. So we're, we're in this very mm -hmm. long, um, uh, five and six month long, um, big bear market in, in the Russell 2000 and the NASDAQ, not quite, uh, a bear market with the S and P 500. It was, uh, very close, but not there yet. And the Dow is holding up because the Dow is made up of 30 companies, but it's basically Apple and 29 others. Um, and Apple was uh, mm -hmm. the last one to give here. So the, the Dow is actually uh, also down like 15 or 16% top to bottom. I think what's happening is a very different, um, a, a very different sell-off than say the one from uh, 2011 with, uh, uh, if you remember the pig, the pigs um, and, and the pigs countries, mm -hmm. the Euro crisis default. And then we had the double lip recession fears, Brexit. Um, obviously we had, uh, the run-up to Trump's election where people were scared. And then uh, we had 2018. And then we had 2020, actually. So in all those cases, classic buy-the-dip opportunities. It, it crashed real quick. And then on the other side, it rallied on Fed support, uh, basically. So uh, uh, what happened in mm -hmm. all those times is nothing fundamentally changed about interest rates. And right now, what we're mm -hmm. seeing is is a whole new uh, ball game. And I think what uh, what's happening is uh, the end of a 13 year bull market, according to 
set specific rules. So slow growth and muted and muted CPI numbers that led to a specific bull market for 13 years, which, you know, uh, quite early we saw that uh, there are a group of stocks that are going to lead it, the FANGs. Now you can, you know, mm -hmm. throughout the bull market, you people debated, hey, this is, you know, going on too long or whatever, but it's it's a whole of worry. It's, that's how bull market works. What we saw in, in January with Netflix and with Facebook selling off so hard is we saw for the first time fragility. We saw them being vulnerable. We saw that they're not invincible. And in April, we saw Google, uh, Microsoft, and now Apple all moving into a bear market, a personal bear market. So top to bottom, more than 20% declines. And we also see NVIDIA and AMD and Tesla. So all of these the biggest market cap companies, Adobe, Intuit, et cetera, they're all uh, getting um, uh, a big sell-off. And here's where the difference comes in. I think what we're seeing is a reshuffling of how valuations are going to be measured in this, uh, in this new era where CPI numbers are much higher and the Fed cannot, mm -hmm. um, is not, uh, coming on every FOMC meeting and say, oh, well, inflation is 1.4, it's 1.5, it's 1.6. We, we can meet our target. We can meet our target of, of uh, 2%. We're still in a very deflationary market. We're afraid of deflation. We're not there anymore. That's it. We don't have a slow growth economy. We have 11 million job openings and 6 million applicants. That's almost twice as much job, job opening, openings as people uh, ready to take those jobs if their skill set even matches those jobs. So we're definitely in a different economy. We have um, uh, 2 million homes uh, that are short. In other words, we're, we're missing on 2 million homes to meet the demand. And therefore, what you're seeing in, in the real estate uh, market where people think that we're in a, in a bubble or a hyper bubble, whatever is, um, we're seeing mortgage rates climb. But if people say, no, no, I'm, I don't want to purchase a house at this uh, type of monthly payment, well, they're going to rent and it's going to cost them just as badly. So it, there's no fix for this real estate market. It's going to stay expensive. It may slow down, but it doesn't help anybody. The real solution is more uh, supply of, of housing and more construction. Um, so we are definitely in a new economy. There's a, there's a much different economy than we saw for the past 13 years. And that's why I don't expect a V-shaped uh, recovery or V-shaped rally, uh, I should say, in the stock market. Uh, what the Fed basically has done is it puts so much uncertainty into the market that uh, the Nasdaq and the Russell pulled uh, down by over 30%, S&P 500 nearly 20%, mm -hmm. the Dow 15, 16%, uh, you know, world indices like the S S uh, MSCI uh, world index, they're all down bad. And But what we're uh, literally... Uh, seeing is the Fed trying to take away the wealth effect. Because if I'm losing 30% of my net worth or 25% of my net worth or 20% of my net worth, and I'm a boomer um, and, and I need to retire, well, now I've just added another year or two to mm -hmm. uh, my, my cycle. Or if I'm you know in, in peak uh, of my career and I wanted to take a nice vacation this summer, well, maybe it won't be that uh, expensive. Or maybe I won't change those appliances. They're killing the wealth effect, which, you know, it's not the solution. 
Like to, to, to make people poorer is not how you balance supply and demand. But uh, the Fed uh, doesn't have many tools. It, it can influence your behavior by raising the cost of credit. And that's okay. Uh, but, but, you know, it, it won't solve supply chain problems. It won't solve, uh, you know, the, the, the tight labor market. And it, it, it can uh, create a situation where inflation comes down, but uh, it's, it, it's not going to put it down to 2%. If you want to do that, you need to go Paul Volcker and raise interest rates to 6 7 and 8%, um, but they're not going to do that. It's not even in their, uh, uh, in their thought process. So we are, we are in a new economy, and that's why a new stock market economy, in other words, a new paper economy, and definitely a new real economy on Main Street with, with small and, and mid-sized businesses. So uh, this period, uh, which I think will last throughout 2022 and perhaps even 2023, what we'll see is how uh, Wall Street and how uh, Main Street values businesses, talking more about Wall Street, and how Americans behave uh, in general, talking about Main Street. So. How do small and mid-sized businesses do? What what people want in this new world that we're entering? Because you got to remember, for two years, millennials uh, did not get married during the pandemic. Now there's going to be a slew of new marriages, house formations. People are going to have kids. Uh, there's a big demographic boom that's uh, that's happening, and they're also moving places because they they have hybrid jobs and, and whatnot. So uh, there's a lot of uh, moving parts in terms of real estate, and then Wall Street. Well. Uh, shareholders are telling companies this going on from private, from VC to the to the to the big companies. Well, I want to see the bottom line, just like after the Great Depression. I don't want to pay for uh, a premium for the future. I don't want to know how about your growth. I want to know if I have to flick a switch tomorrow. I want to know how you get to uh, some bottom line uh, profits. And therefore, a lot of these growth companies that that uh, might be profitable a year or two or three from now. They're not going to get ascribed a huge premium. In fact, they might get discounted because they haven't proven themselves. So switch everything that you saw uh, in in the past 13 years and understand that what Wall Street wants is they want to see now. Can you show me profits now? And if not, can you show me that you're going to get to a profit later? I don't want to see growth. I just want to see your revenues growing, your hiring and whatnot. No, I want to see your plan to profitability. So with all of this happening, um, there's a lot of gyrations because now, you know, our crypto is important in this kind of world where you can get real yield, right? If you're an institution, you can literally get 3% from the U.S. government. 3% from the U.S. government. I mean, you just Google all other countries and what they pay for 10 years uh, on, on their bonds. They're paying between zero, negative, or, you know, uh, uh, a few percentage points. And I'm talking about the biggest of the big economies, uh, not uh, smaller type uh, governments where you don't, you just don't know what currency risk you're taking. So Tina's dead. In other words, uh, the acronym for there is no alternative but stocks, that's dead. It's not, it, it's over. It's not coming back uh, for the foreseeable future. Goldilocks, which means, you know, good solid growth, but not too much. Uh, uh, sensible inflation, but not too much. A lot of people uh, getting to getting good jobs, but not overheated. That's all gone. So we're in a, in this new world, 
and everything is getting revalued. And that's how you get algorithms that sell, sell first, and then figure everything out later. Because the algorithms, you know, all the hedge funds, what, what's their game plan this year? And I can tell you from experience because I talked to my own hedge fund manager. They sell, their, they sell first, they hedge big, right? They hedge all these positions with the NASDAQ or, the, um, or, or they short uh, Kathy Wood's fund. And that's how they hedge all this downside. And on the flip side, they start to revalue what's important in their portfolio and, and see where, what are they paying too much for. So definitely a new mm -hmm. world and gold and silver and all other commodities play into it. It reminds me a lot about uh, it reminds me a lot about what's happened after the Great Depression. It also reminds me what happened about the dot-com bubble. But there are similarities and there are differences. So we're we're not in the same place, but um, uh, as those two times. But we're definitely in a world where hey, if all investors can can just uh, uh, forget their playbook for the last thirteen years. And just focus on um, uh, this new paradigm without having the bias that, hey, whatever worked for me for 13 years will continue working. I think they'll be in, a, in good shape because uh, there is uh, real innovation in America. The demographic group that's between 30 and 40 years old. So in other words, the demographic group that's in charge of all of the inventions and innovations, Silicon Valley and whatever else, um, they're at... Uh, um, a, a very good position. In other words, the amount of people that are between 30 and 40 year olds as a percentage of the population is at an all-time high. Um, and that's not just the U.S., that's other places around the world. So that's really good. Um, demographics, uh, demographically, the United States is growing and that's really good. Um, so overall, we're, we're, experience, uh, we're experiencing pain because we're trying to fix things so we can uh, proceed. You know, it's almost like a, a, a fabulous race car. Uh, some things were, you know, needing some tweaking, but man, once that, those tweaks are done, boom! so, uh, you know, it, it looks bad right now. If you're a spectator and you're like watching the pits and they're, you know, they're, they're handling all the, the stuff within the hood, but once, you know, they close the hood and the, the driver's ready to go, uh, America is in a very good shape. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think you've been on the show before and I've talked about it. I think the millennials, it's going to be the biggest generation ever. And they're going to inherit a bunch of money. Kiplinger, Kiplinger, I think, had a number of 63 trillion over the next 10 to 15 years. Yep. They're also going to generate a lot of money. So financially speaking, they're going to probably be the most powerful generation that we've ever seen. Yeah. Um, but like you said, we're in a market in which things are not conducive to the, the same growth that we saw the last 13 years. And you can go back to, hey, the Fed created a lot of this with their monetary policy. Uh, but there are other factors involved. Now that the Fed is pulling away the punch bowl. And I would argue we're seeing some of the effects of that 13 years of, of money and credit coming into inflation, coming into commodities. It's right. just a shifting of where the value is going to be. Um, I want to talk about the tech sector for a sec because I'm, I'm, I'm just sit, sitting at CNBC and looking at a year-to-date chart of the three major indices, the Dow, the mm -hmm. S&P, and, and NASDAQ. NASDAQ's got hit hard, got hit hardest. And the tech sector really, you know, Netflix is crashing. W what are your views on the tech sector? Is it over for them? Meaning, because what was holding up NASDAQ was the top end. The middle end last year, I think, 
50% of the companies lost 50% or something like that. So it was the top end guys that were holding up the index. Now the, the, the overall index is down. Is it just a revaluation in tech? Do you think there's another launch point for tech where maybe there has to be some consolidation, maybe some reality sets in, and then it can, and then it goes back on another bull run? Or do you think we're fundamentally changing away from tech a little bit, rotating into other sectors? I'll give you my insights, and I'll also give you something amazing that I, I created for your viewers. Um, first of all, we talk okay. about the NASDAQ. There are three things. Basically, when we say NASDAQ, we say three things. First of all, there's a company, a publicly traded company, that's NASDAQ Inc. Um, you can actually mm -hmm. be a shareholder of NASDAQ Inc. Um, that company runs the NASDAQ and, and owns a bunch of other indices. Um, but, uh, so when we talk about the NASDAQ, we rarely talk about NASDAQ, the company. Then there are two things, the NASDAQ composite, which basically is a composite of about 3,000 companies that trade on the NASDAQ overall. And you're talking about mm -hmm. what happened in 2021 where the, the market breadth, in other words, uh, uh, B-R-E-A-D-T-H, uh, the, uh, the amount of companies that go up cons uh, compared to the amount of companies that go down was awful. There were about 50 or 60% of, of these 3,000 companies. Um, at one point, it was uh, right around 2,000 companies that were 52-week closed, yet the NASDAQ composite went up. And that's because the weight of the big companies, as you said, the FANGs, and uh, now we call them the MANTA. Um, it's like the, a, a new acronym for them. Now that they've changed a, a little bit in terms of their market caps, they pulled the, uh, the composite up. Um, and that peaked in, in uh, January 4th, 2022, where uh, the NASDAQ started as a whole to really go down. The NASDAQ 100, which is what most people follow and buy and, and own, um, is not comprised of 100 companies like after the dot-com bubble. So it's different. And at the dot-com bubble, if you look at the NASDAQ, it's it was very much like a, like a, like a, more like a Kathy Wood ETF. A lot of Maybe, you know, companies with uh, uh, with no revenues were in the NASDAQ 100. Today, if you go and, and search the NASDAQ 100, these are amazing companies. Like th these are not tech companies uh, for the most part. So I, I think that what's happening in, in the NASDAQ 100 or in, in the tech sector in general is that there was a big correction. Uh, Huge correction, actually, you know, 30% in, in five months. That's pretty, in six months, that's pretty huge. And now mm -hmm. it's a matter of what type of P ratios and other price ratios do we ascribe to these companies that are growing, that are profitable, that are great companies, that are dominators on the world scene. These are not, uh, you know, mediocre companies. These are world-class companies. But how much do we need to pay right. for them when there are alternatives. So uh, that's why I'm saying, I think we're moving into uh, just a world where uh, how, do you, how do you create a return uh, from a stock that you own? There, there are basically three things that create the return. When you own shares of a company, there's appreciation of price, there's the dividend yield, and there are, uh, and, and there's the incremental, uh, uh, increase of ownership via buybacks. In other words, when the companies buy back their own shares, and they do that a lot, you uh, you indirectly uh, own more shares of that company without even spending another dollar just because 
uh, of a managerial decision. So that creates that total return. And if appreciation is uh, uh, created because of PE ratios getting bigger and bigger, well, that's good uh, if you're a trader. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't think that that's what we're going to see this decade. I think the part where appreciation comes in is going to be less important. And the dividend yield and the buyback will create more of the uh, the reason why you would own a company. So dividend stocks are back in fashion. Companies that can buy back shares are back in fashion. And then companies that are growth companies, but that can tell you when they switch to profitability. I think, you know, ahead of uh, that quarter where management says next quarter, we're going to be profitable. I think that's when you're going to see a lot of those companies uh, get assigned uh, good valuations. Uh, so if you're confident about a company, you can get in before Wall Street, but you may have to wait a year on on things uh, sometimes before they they see those uh, big big rallies. But as a whole, mm-hmm. you know, uh, tech continues to be one of the three major uh, sectors for the United States economy. I don't see that changing whatsoever. Tech, healthcare, financials; mm-hmm. those are the three um, mega industries that the United States is the ruler of, and I don't see that going away whatsoever. Uh, You have incredible companies in the United States uh, that are tech, uh, healthcare, and financials, and Mm -hmm. I don't see that changing. I just see see how um, uh, you don't ascribe so much future value to them as you would in the past uh, decade. So uh, basically, we live in, in a world where uh, P ratios will come down. Um, still, uh, uh, stocks will do very well overall, um, but it will be more because of fundamentals than because of credit being cheap. Yeah, so less, you know, what they call rational exuberance and more, you're going to have to go back to actually looking at the company. It doesn't make sense. Does that, you know, it's what I used to doing seeking alpha for years. I wrote on companies yeah. that said, here are the fundamentals of the company. Here are the fundamentals of the market they're operating in. You know, I like this one, don't like this one. Traditional stock analysis based on fundamental yeah. factors. I would say, Robert, um, that, you... uh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. I, I was just saying, you know, to complement what you're saying, I, I think that, this is going to be a far less frustrating um, for investors that do their research. For a whole decade, mm-hmm. people did their research, said, okay, this company is overvalued. Like, how come I'm the only one seeing it? Mm-hmm. Uh, because other people were just willing to pay more for years and years. And now I think that it's going to be mm-hmm. much easier to say, well, the numbers add up. I like this. I'm going to buy it. Um, and, 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 uh, you're going to buy it for the right reasons and stay in it for the right reasons. Uh, but uh, I don't think you're going to get that uh, somebody else paying way more than you and that uh, appreciation that happens just because people don't have another place to put their money. And I told you, I'll give you something exciting. We put together a report about four amazing companies that I'm personally buying that are uh, from the tech sector. So if, if your viewers want to check those out, they can go to Wealth Research Group dot com forward slash high like high growth h-i-g-h and download uh, uh, those companies those are companies that i'll be uh, accumulating shares in for for years and years as long as they do uh what they're doing right now which is uh, amazing work 
Okay, wealthresearchgroup.com forward slash hi, H-I-G-H. Four recommendations from you. Thanks for doing that for the audience. I appreciate yeah, it. Uh, people that do analysis. I, I think we're getting into a phase <laughs> where we're going back to people that do good analysis. We'll be rewarded, hopefully. Do you anticipate, Leo, we're ever going to get back to a value investing approach? It's been growth for a long time. Makes sense. The Fed's printing money. The U.S., we were going through the tech revolution. Uh, the U.S. is leading the way, had the world reserve currency. It was all about growth. Every once in a while, we'll switch from growth to value. That happens. Are we in a place where people are going to go back to value investing in the Warren Buffett approach, the Peter Lynch approach? Or do you so, still have your eye on, no, you still think growth is going to lead the way? Yeah. So uh, I think that um, uh, it's always value investing, right? You're always looking for value. But when we talk about quote unquote value investing, we're talking about companies where it's easy to value it. That's when we when we say mm-hmm. uh, I like value right now. It means that I'm I'm. It's easy for me to see how this company, how much this company is worth, and that's because we use very standardized ratios like the P ratio or price to sales or price to book. Very traditional ways of looking at companies that um, uh, that are of value because the value is visible. You don't have to speculate or. Uh, think about what will the value be when uh, one day they'll have a bottom line. Um, so yeah, I think we're mm-hmm. we're transitioning more into that uh, bracket. But I, I would call it modern value investing because um, if okay. you look at, at what Benjamin Graham did, uh, who was the professor that, that taught Buffett about value investing, he came after mm-hmm. the. Uh, 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 the Great Recession. So to him, this shirt uh, meant, okay, how much does this button cost? Like, what is it made of? Is it made of uh, whatever, ivory? Okay, cool. How much does ivory from, uh, you know, from the elephants cost? How much do, does this cotton cost? How much does, uh, you know, how much does it cost to employ? He wanted to pay liquidation prices. Okay, if a company had 100 mil on their, on their balance sheet and they had, this factory and this, he wanted to just pricing everything, and that's what he wanted to pay. He didn't want to pay for anything else, not the reputation, not anything intangible. No, I don't think we're there, right? We're not after a Great Depression where uh, the risk you're taking by owning any business is a tremendous risk. It might not be here one year from now. No, we're not there. We're, we're you know, the economy is, is thriving. Um, you know, this recession talk is because we're trying to uh, finish off this problem with uh, inflation that was brought about because of a once in a hundred year event that ended globalization. So um, I think we're not there. This is not Benjamin Graham. Then Warren Buffett met Charlie Munger and Munger told him, well, you know, if, if, if I had an algorithm that tried to find companies like Benjamin Graham did, we will never find a company unless it's it's uh, selling at an auction. In other words, companies are not uh, cheap as they used to be in the 30s. People ascribe some sort of a premium to a company because they do see that it can grow and grow and grow and, and, and become a great company 20, 30, 40 years from now. So Munger told him, let's just pay good prices for great companies. So mm-hmm. that became value investing. But even they missed out on amazing companies because they couldn't figure out the ultra-modern value investing, which includes a lot of tech companies. They missed out on Apple and on Google. 
heck, you know, Bill Gates is one of Warren Buffett's best friends and he and never bought a single share. So and, and he literally had mm-hmm. the guy in a, he could have, you know, wrecked his okay. So um uh I think we're in this ultra modern value investing era where you have to look at more than just PE ratios if you want to find great companies. It's not just that. Uh, you need to figure out more um, uh, more ways of doing it and really become an investor. Um, and I think that this is a great time to be an investor because there's so many podcasts and shows and books. It's endless. It's, it's amazing yeah. how much information you can, you can soak up. Um, so, yeah, I do think that uh, this is a great time for that. I also think that contrary to the days of, uh, of Warren Buffett in the 70s and 80s, I do think that there is a case for um, uh, understanding that uh, the, the term forever stocks has become very small. There are very few companies in this world that are really forever stocks. Uh, it, we've seen that more industries can be disrupted uh, and become less relevant uh, than ever before. So I do think that people need to be more mindful of their portfolios. Um, and, and, and sometimes a company that is an amazing company can get disrupted and you don't need to, to say, okay, well, I, I call it a forever stock, so I'm just going to hold on to it forever. Uh, just because I said so, classic one would be obviously an IBM, which for a whole generation of Americans was like the company. But now it's a whatever mm-hmm. company. Um, so I would say it, it, I think the this basket of forever stocks is uh, less and less. Uh, uh, it includes less and less companies. There are still forever stocks, in my opinion. Um, but I don't think it's those companies that you think I'm thinking of. Um, so mm-hmm. I would say that that's one thing. Secondly, um, it's not a shame to. Uh, to uh, to use this kind of a approach where you say, okay, I am a long-term investor. I'm going to buy this company uh, incrementally. So, you know, this random day that I chose to buy it might not be the bottom. So I'll incrementally buy, you know, shares for, uh, for the next year in this company because I like it for the next five to 10 years. But then maybe in five to 10 years, I don't keep the whole position if it's done really well for me. I trim it. And I use that money money in, in other places. In other words, even a forever stock um, can morph into something else if you think it's lost some of its competitive advantage. And you trim and trim and trim, and that's and that's fine. Like I, I I like that approach because, as you can see, reality is that Warren Buffett is underperforming the market because he has these legacy forever positions that he's been holding on to for decades and decades. Um, and some of them, they are getting disrupted. So there's, they are underperforming the, the indices and whatnot. So I think that's important to keep, uh, to keep in mind when, when you uh, look at investing going forward. Mm-hmm. All right. So last question I want to ask you, Lior, since you're here, since we're a precious metals channel and macro, we covered the macro, we covered, you know, stock market and tech. What about commodities and precious metals? Is it time to get back into them? Of course, you had pr- commodities, price, inflation. Precious metal seems like they're drifting a bit. I still think they're in a bull market, but what's your view on that sector? Um, I, I think that uh, structurally, 
Um, there are very, there's a lot of similarities to both the 70s and the 2000s. Um, but I don't think we're in mm-hmm. a super cycle for commodities. I think that we're just in a great time for commodities, but not a super cycle. And I'll explain. Uh, ESG is obviously putting a lot of pressure on commodity prices because if the government can come in at any point and say, oh man, what is that little you know, environmental hazard right there? That's a $40 million uh, fine to you, big oil. Then big oil is yeah. not going to be as, uh, as happy to start new projects. So I think that's one thing to, to keep in mind. So ESG problems, but how do you solve ESG problems? Well, a lot of entrepreneurs went to com- to countries where ESG is, eh, it's not that important. It's more important that these people have jobs and don't uh, eat uh, leftovers and, and uh, you know, and, and, and die of hunger and, and, and whatnot. So second world and third world countries. But now even those countries are looking at ESG as something important, but they're also looking at, I don't want to basically give away all of my assets to foreign entrepreneurs. So we're seeing a um, a, politi- a, a politification, politicization of uh, commodities. Like countries want to own their mm-hmm. own sources of um, yep. copper, oil, uranium, you know, energy sources, lithium, etc., rare earths, uh, silver, uh, zinc, etc., aluminum, iron ore, steel. Mm-hmm. You know, I can go down the list. And obviously agriculture uh, with everything we're seeing right now in, in Russia and in the Ukraine. So that obviously is going to be cost uh, prohibitive because to build a mine in the United States is more expensive than to build it in South America. But if the government is adamant that uh, we build more lithium projects in the United States, then uh, commodity prices are going to go up. Uh, so that's a, a second thing that I think uh, is here. So you have ESG and you have deglobalization. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't want to source yep. it from the cheapest source. I want to source it from my own jurisdiction. Uh, that's second. And, and we saw both of these in the 70s as well um, when there was distrust between uh, countries. So those are two important things. Yep. Third is uh, I, I think we're seeing a lot of urbanization throughout the world that calls for a lot of uh, commodities. So um, a boom in terms of urbanization of China, Nigeria, India, uh, Indonesia, a lot of these countries that are gonna surpass uh, the developed countries in terms of their size and and, uh, GDP even in in the next uh, 15 to 20 years. And they're all in need, desperate need of more commodities. Um, So those are three major things. Uh, fourth is now the tech is mm-hmm. vulnerable. Think about what happened after the dot-com bubble. Uh, you know, when tech is vulnerable, you look elsewhere. And one industry that's very easy to figure out is mining. It's a very easy industry. How much does it cost me to produce? What am I selling it for? Got it. It's a very easy business model to understand. And so yep. uh, when you dive, uh, divest out of uh, these other uh, industries, the mining industry and the commodities industry is super small, super, super small. If you divest mm-hmm. even a few percentage points, you're in, uh, you're in for a great uh, bull market in, in commodities. Um, so that's a, a very you know, similar to what we saw in the 2000s. 
But the main thing is that we have now a world of inflation. And that's not going away. Uh, you do not take 8.1% on the, on the CPI and lower it to 2% at a flick of a finger. It just doesn't happen that way. It takes two or three years to do yeah. that. And I think that uh, that plays into the, that. Lastly, the DXY index, uh, and I know we have to wrap this up, but just lastly, the DXY index, uh, so okay. the dollar index versus other fiat currencies at a 20-year high, just like it was after the dot-com bubble burst in 9-11, and boom, it, it, it went on a big bear market for many, many years. I think we're headed that way as well. Um, I just want to let you know that I created um, a flow chart of the 11 catalysts that I think will take gold to $2,582 an ounce. And you, if you want to access that research, go to again to our website, to wealthresearchgroup.com forward slash 1111. Um, so those are the, like the 11 catalysts. Um, and, you know, if you want to understand my entire economic outlook for 2022, uh, it's best to go to wealthresearchgroup.com forward slash 2022. Um, so 2022, and, and you can download that report. Those are great research reports over the weekend or when you have time to, to go over them. We pull with a lot of stats and graphs and whatnot. Okay, great. So you've given us three links. So it's wealthresearchgroup.com forward slash high for your four recommendations, forward slash 11 for the 11 reasons for uh, the commodities market, and then forward slash 2022 for your, your overall market outlook, right? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Lior, for joining the program. We got your website, wealthresearchgroup.com. Appreciate you coming back on. We'll have you on again in the future. Thank you very much. 